Today, we are in the fifth and final week of our series called You Are Not Your Own. The series where we've been trying to sort out this really complicated relationship between identity, authority, freedom, and belonging that all of us modern people in different ways are trying to sort out. And it's tricky, right? Because we, we want to be free. We want to be as free as possible to define and express ourselves. We want to be free, but then we also want to belong. And those dueling desires are not easily reconciled with one another. In a lot of ways, those two desires are in conflict with one another because if you want to be as free as possible, then you're not going to be able to belong anywhere. If you want to belong, you're going to have to learn to give up some freedom. It's tricky. And uh, I don't think we've sorted all those issues out, but I do hope we've made a little bit of progress. And so today, we will wrap up the series with what I'm sure will be a very simple, non-controversial exploration of all the ways in which our modern confusion about identity, authority, freedom, and belonging have caused us to be more than a little bit confused about sex. As a reminder, we have a wonderful kids' ministry here at Vista. Um, (laughs) You can still check your kids in. They've been told that there might be some people heading in at the beginning of the sermon, and so you can avail yourself of that opportunity unless you would like to have some really awkward conversations with your kids on the way home. So if you'd like to do that, go do that. We're going to put on some mood music. No, no judgment. Give you about 15 seconds to go ahead and head that way. In first service, there was literally just one kid who got up in front of everybody. It was quite traumatizing for him, I'm sure. Okay, you've been warned. Um, Disclaimer is out there. So I'm sure that back in uh, 2011, you were all no doubt watching the Independent Spirit Awards. Right? Of course you were. It happened the day before the Academy Awards. And you'll remember that toward the end of this awards show, Paul Rudd, I love Paul Rudd, he's great, and Eva Mendez, they come on stage to announce this award. And they had concocted this gag wherein as she was announcing the award, he would grope her chest because it'd be hilarious, right? And so, uh, sure enough, they come up on stage, she announces the award, he gropes her chest, and everybody starts laughing uncontrollably because it's so funny. Uh, But then another actress who's sitting in the front row, Rosario Dawson, she just impromptu jumps up on the stage and she grabs Paul Rudd by the crotch. I guess because she wanted to get in on the groping too. And by gosh, did she ever. She seized his loins like Harry Potter seizing the golden snitch, man. It was an aggressive grab. I don't think he's recovered. And the audience finds all this hilarious. It's hilarious, isn't it? It's just a bunch of people groping and being groped on stage in front of a national audience. What could be funnier? And reflecting on this, Rosario Dawson, she was the uh, crotch groper in question. Uh, She said, and I quote, I grabbed Paul's package on stage. It was kind of great. Because why do men always get to cop a feel? Women get to cop a feel too. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, just keeping equal opportunity. And I I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a a better representation of our modern confusion about sex than this scene, right? Because it was a heck of a scene. Just a bunch of celebrities groping and being groped on stage in front of an adoring crowd. Everybody loved it. An adoring crowd that would shortly thereafter, of course, become the staging ground for the Me Too movement, a movement in which celebrities who thought that groping each other was hilarious, 
somehow came to the conclusion that maybe it wasn't so hilarious. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them. We'll be in 1 Corinthians, and we'll see if Scripture can shed a little bit of light on this very confusing situation we've all managed to get ourselves into in the modern world when it comes to sex and sexuality. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 6, we'll read verses 12 through 20. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality before the Lord, and the Lord's for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. So do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh, right? That's Genesis being quoted there. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is in one spirit with him, so flee immorality. Every other sin that a man or woman commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God, in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. So, uh, for a little bit of context, uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians and the ancient church in the ancient city of Corinth. Christians in Corinth, uh, they have a pretty well-deserved reputation for being a bit of a dumpster fire. Some of you remember the situation there. They're just, they're always bickering about something like that. They're arguing, apparently, this is one of the greatest little moments in, in the letter. They're arguing about who their favorite preacher is. That's a big one. Some of them are like, well, I like Matt Chandler. Others are like, ah, oh, he preaches too long. Good God, hour-long sermons, those hurt people, man. Others are like, well, I like Stephen Furtick more. He's my favorite. I was like, no, he works out too much. He works out during sermons. Good God, man, like, you gotta draw a line somewhere. And others are like, oh, I don't like them. I like Joel Olstein. He's very positive. And others are like, no, he's, he's got too much mullet. You can't have that much mullet. I know the mullets are coming back, but like, this is too much mullet on a man preaching the gospel. Come on. They're suing each other all the time. And there's this one guy who quite infamously is uh, he's apparently sleeping with his stepmom and everybody's just kind of, everybody's cool with it. Everybody's like, I know it's weird, but they just seem so happy together. <laughs> you know, like, love is love, man. Love is love. So that's the context we're working with as we encounter this uh, very odd but interesting text. And the very first phrase of the very first verse is very important. So let's go back and read it. This is verse 12. All things are lawful for me. And the updated translation of the NIV probably puts this a little bit better because it makes it a bit clearer what Paul is saying, right? So we'll read it again in the updated version of the NIV. I have the right to do anything, close quotation mark, you say. And so what the NIV makes clear here is that um, this first phrase, I have the right to do anything, this is not something that the Apostle Paul is saying and endorsing himself, but rather it is Paul quoting the Corinthians back to themselves. It's Paul saying, hey, I know that you say that you have the right to do anything. And so why do these Corinthian Christians think that they have the right to do anything? Because that's a pretty bold proclamation, isn't it? 
I have the right to do anything? Well, reading between the lines a bit, it's, it's clear that the Corinthians were these uh, hyper-spiritual people who had a very, very high view of their own spiritual maturity. As a general rule of thumb, anytime someone has a very high view of their own spiritual maturity, it is usually a mark of their spiritual immaturity. And so they seemed to think that they were free to do whatever they wanted with their bodies, so long as their hearts, so long as their spirits were in the right place. And this brings us to prostitution and why many Christians in ancient Corinth apparently thought it was no big deal. For a bit of context, uh, prostitution was not only legal, but it was very normal in ancient Greco-Roman culture. In fact, uh, ancient Greco-Roman men could have sex with basically whoever they wanted, um, prostitutes included. The only person they couldn't have sex with was what? Another man's wife, because that was his property. You couldn't violate another man's property. Goats either, but not another man's wife. All that to say, well, it's kind of shocking to us that these ancient Corinthians could have thought their prostitution was just like, you know, no big deal. It's think how funny it was to write a letter to him being like, hey, probably shouldn't keep sleeping with the prostitutes, man. Um, we need to be careful wagging that accusatory index finger because I think modern Western culture has more than a few of its own blind spots, don't you? Most obviously, and as alluded to earlier, modern culture is in this really weird place in regards to sex wherein we are both so casual about it, but then also so sensitive about it. Have you noticed this? So casual on the one hand, then so sensitive on the other. For example, over 80% of religiously unaffiliated adults, so this would be people who say they don't belong to any religious tradition, think casual sex is okay, it's no big deal. It's a high number, probably not telling you anything you don't know. The number is a little bit lower among self-professed Christians, but probably higher than you would expect because about 50% of self-professed Christians think that casual sex is okay. This is from a Pew survey that came out a couple years ago. You can go check it out if you want. And so, uh, again, not telling you anything you probably don't already know. Modern people, they're very casual about sex. We coined the phrase casual sex. But then, somewhat surprisingly, we're also really, really sensitive about it. All right, so... Return to the 2000 Spirit Awards uh, Grope Fest. That's what I've named it. Um, it is not accidental that the same entertainment industry with traffics in the belief that sex is casual and no big deal ended up being ground zero for the Me Too movement. It's not a coincidence. Uh, because as much as modern culture tries to get us to believe that sex is just no big deal, deep down, every last one of us knows that it is. Our bodies know that it is. Our hearts know that it is. And so we have found ourselves in this kind of schizophrenic cultural dilemma, haven't we? Where sex is allegedly no big deal, and then it's allegedly the biggest deal, and we just don't know how to deal with it. Case in point, although younger generations tend to think about sex much, much, much more casually, uh, younger people are actually having way way less sex. You know, this is across the board, okay? Married or single, committed sex, casual sex, everybody is having way less sex. And the number of young people not having sex has more than doubled over the last 15 years. This phenomenon is so profound that social psychologists have given it the absolutely fabulous name, the sex recession. Isn't that good? <laughs> the sex recession. So apparently for all this big talk that we all do about Netflix and chill, it turns out that it's really just Netflix. 
It is Netflix and take a nap by yourself, right? That's the modern dating scene. Netflix and porn, that's actually what it is. And so now back to our text. These Corinthians think that they have a right to do anything they want with their bodies so long as their hearts are in the right place. And to put it very mildly, the apostle Paul disagrees with them. Now, I want you, though, to pay careful attention to why Paul disagrees with them. So let's read verse 13 again. All right, it says, you say, okay, this is Paul quoting them back to themselves, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Okay, so once again, Paul is quoting the Corinthians back to themselves, saying, I know that you say that food and stomachs and bodies don't matter because God's going to get rid of all that stuff one day, and so who cares? And so once again, what we're seeing here is this hyper-spirituality of the Corinthian Christians where they think they can do whatever they want with their bodies so long as their spirits, so long as their hearts are in the right place, right? So again, I can do whatever I want so long as my heart's in the right place. And now Paul, he trades in his uh, surgeon's scalpel for a bit of a demolition hammer at this point. He just goes to work on the fake wannabe hyper-spirituality, fake spirituality of the Corinthian Christians. He says, no, 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 no. Look, hey, God is not gonna just destroy food and stomachs and bodies one day. That's not how this is gonna work. In fact, it'll actually work the exact opposite way because God is for the body. That's what Paul says, God is for the body. And how exactly do we know that God is for the body? Well, because when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, what exactly did God raise? You know, did God raise the, uh, the idea of Jesus from the dead? God raised the, the memory of Jesus from the dead. God raised the spirit of Jesus from the dead. No, when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God raised Jesus' body. Still had the holes in his hands. You remember the story? Because Jesus, like every last one of us, is in a very real sense his body. And this is pretty simple stuff, but it's something we need to be reminded of consistently because we have this seemingly irresistible tendency to forget that according to Scripture, we don't just have bodies, but rather in a very real abiding sense, we are our bodies. You, you are not a spirit who happens to live in a body for now. You are not a person who happens to have a body until further notice, but rather just like the resurrected Christ, your body is and will forever be an essential part of your person. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that you will always and forever have the exact same body that you have now, because I know some of you are thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> better tighten it up, man. Didn't know I was gonna be rolling in this thing forever. <laughs> you know, I would've. Taking better care of it. Oh, that's not what we're saying. Uh, we have all this talk in Scripture about how our bodies will be glorious and transformed and, and all that good stuff. I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed. Okay, but for all that glory and transformation, they will still be physical bodies. And this brings us to verse 15 where Paul gets pretty explicit, doesn't he? He says, listen, our bodies belong to Christ. And so we dare not take our bodies that belong to Christ and allow them to then belong to a prostitute. You understand what he's saying there? Paul's saying, look, your heart can't be in the right place if your you-know-what is in the wrong place. That's Austin's translation. <laughs> can't do it. You don't understand, man, my heart. I don't care about your heart. 
Okay, have that in that place and your heart in the right place. It's not the way this thing works, right? It's very important to know, though, that Paul is not bringing the hammer down on sexual immorality because he's some prudish Puritan who thinks sex is awful and we should just, we should just pray and think about Jesus instead of having sex, right? It's not, what Paul, it's not what Paul is saying. Rather, Paul is bringing the hammer down on sexual immorality for the exact opposite reason. Namely, unlike the fake super spiritual Corinthians who think they can do whatever they want with their bodies so long as their hearts are in the right place, Paul thinks that what we do with our bodies is so incredibly important because Paul thinks that our bodies are so incredibly important. In other words, Paul brings the hammer down on sexual immorality because Paul is for the body not because Paul is against it. Paul is so negative about this idea that we can do whatever we want with our bodies because Paul is so positive about our bodies. Does that make sense? It's for the body. And this brings us back to some of the stuff we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. I think it was literally two weeks ago I, I mentioned the phrase expressive individualism to you. You remember that phrase? Expressive individualism, it refers to the uh, <clears throat> belief that as opposed to more ancient notions of identity, wherein who you are was primarily determined by what? It was primarily determined externally by God, by your community, by your family. We modern people think of our identity as being primarily determined internally by ourselves. Now, who decides who you are? Well, you decide who you are. We get very uncomfortable when others try to tell us who we are. And how do we do this? Well, by looking deep inside ourselves to discover our deepest feelings, intuitions, emotions, and then turning outwardly <clears throat> to express our unique inner individuality. So all that to say, identity for us modern people has become tightly bound up with turning inward to discover and then express ourselves. And this brings us to one of modernity's most influential figures, Sigmund Freud. Any you remember Sigmund Freud from like Intro to Psychology? Yeah, he's uh, the father of modern psychoanalysis and more popularly known as the guy who told us that basically everything we do is about sex. Remember that? Why are you hungry? Sex. Why are you sleepy? Sex. Why did Texas beat Alabama? Sex. Why did A&M get 48 points? Sex. It's all about sex. Sex. He looks like he'd think it's all about sex, doesn't he? Get that picture down, man. I'm getting creeped out. Um, I have to cut some corners here for brevity's sake. Uh, if you'd like the fuller story, I recommend a book called The Rise and Triumph of the modern self by Carl Truman, give you a little bit more context, but the basic idea is that once modern people came to think of themselves very psychologically, by which I mean came to think that inward psychological happiness was A, the central part of their flourishing, Freud came along and he expanded on this by suggesting that inward psychological happiness was primarily achieved through outward sexual expression. To be inwardly psychologically happy, you gotta make sure you authentically, outwardly express yourself. Here's how he put it in one of his most famous essays. <clears throat> he said, man's discovery that sexual love afforded him the strongest experiences of satisfaction and the prototype of all happiness must have suggested to him that he should continue to seek the satisfaction of happiness in his life along the path of sexual relations, last phrase is important, and that he should make genital eroticism the central point of his life. And so in broad outlines, okay, this is the genealogy of how sex came to be like everything and nothing and then everything in between everything and nothing in modern culture. We think of identity very psychologically and then we think of psychology very sexually. And this inevitably means that we come to think of sexual expression as a, if not the, 
central part of our identity. And so to fail to authentically sexually express yourself as defined by yourself is basically to fail like as a human, right? It's like the worst failure one could have, to fail to sexually express yourself authentically according to yourself. Here's how Truman puts it all together in his book. He says, Freud is asserting that true happiness is sexual satisfaction. And therefore, the way to be happy is to engage in behavior that leads one to be sexually satisfied. Now, the acceptance of Freud's basic insight that sexual desire is constitutive of identity is therefore an anthropological, philosophical, and political watershed. Because to concede this point means that debate about the limits of sexual expression become almost pointless. Because any attempts to corral sexual behavior is then rendered as an oppressive move designed to make the individual inauthentic. Maybe you got like 10% of that, okay? You can go back and listen to the quote again if you'd like. But what Truman has put his finger on here is this deep fault line that lies at the heart, dead at the heart of so many of these social tremors that we're all experiencing right now and will probably continue to for a while. Because once identity has been so deeply psychologized, meaning it's primarily a matter of being authentic to how you think or feel about yourself, and then the psychological identity has been so thoroughly sexualized, then we inevitably end up in some really heated and confusing debates about sexuality and identity. Maybe you've noticed. Now, I have about five minutes left, um, so I'm not gonna be able to say and sort all of the things that could be said and sorted when it comes to LGBTQ plus issues, <clears throat> sex ed in schools, rampant pornography, infidelity, no fault, divorce. Um, Dave has said he'd be happy to answer all your questions, so his personal <laughs> cell phone number is 254. <laughs> I can't do that to you. Kim would kill me. I know Kim's, that would not be a good time, especially call it dinner time. Um, I can't say all the things, not just because I, I don't have time, but because I'm not smart enough to say all the things. There are limits to my knowledge and wisdom, I can assure you, but I do think a few things are important to say in closing. First off, I I preached a sermon a few years back during a series we did called Sex Talk. It's still available easily online where to the best of my ability, I'm not perfect, but to the best of my ability, I tried to walk us through the foundational issues involved when it comes to the same-sex debates in their various forms and explain why we land where we land as a church, which is that we are absolutely welcoming to the LGBTQ plus community. Everybody who is here today, we are glad that they're here because Jesus welcomes everybody, period, full stop. Everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. All right, so we're welcoming to the LGBTQ plus community while trying to be faithful to the traditional biblical interpretation of human marriage and sexuality. All right, it's a very complex, complicated position. Um, I just hope that you can trust that we've landed where we land out of a lot of care and prayer and discernment, and we're not perfect, but that's doing the best that we know how to do with it. If you wanna come talk to me or any of our elders, John Wobble's right there, uh, after service, we'd be happy to talk with you a little bit more about that, okay? Now second, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ lived the most authentic, adventuresome, fully human life that's ever been lived, right? He did. And Jesus Christ died an unmarried virgin. Unmarried virgin. So while I am all for the sex, two thumbs up, it's great. 
Very glad that God created sex to be a rather pleasurable experience. Think about it. God could have created procreation any way he wanted. Could have been through a high five. <laughs> Bam, gotcha. You know? <laughs> could have been through a corn dog. Have you ever had a corn dog? If you've got little boys, you know what the corn dog is. It's when little boys knee each other in the butt cheek. It's a sign of friendship. It's a new thing. It could have been that. I'm, I'm glad it's designed the way it is. It's great. It's a good idea God had. Um, but if sexual expression, I'll put it this way, sexual expression is an inadequate foundation upon which to build an identity or live a life. Like sex is great, but it ain't that great. Don't tell my wife I said that, right? But it's just, it's an inadequate foundation upon which to build a life. And so if sexual expression in any of its forms, okay, if it is the most important thing in your life, then man, you need something more important in your life. It it can't be the be all and end all. And then third, I want us to read verses 19 through 20. Again, listen to what Paul says. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Okay, and so Paul says that just as creation is God's temple, what does that mean? Well, it is a physical world filled with God's spirit. That's what a temple is. So also your body is God's temple. It's a physical body filled with with God's spirit. And so as a good creature who was created by a good God whose body is filled with God's own spirit, you are not free to do whatever you want with your body because you are not your own. And that's really good news. And so whether it's LGBTQ plus issues or rampant infidelity and divorce, I think all of us, okay, I wanna be clear, I'm talking to everybody. I think all of us have a lot of soul searching to do in regard to our modern confusion about sex. Due in large part to the way that we have untethered sex from God's physical design for the body, God's moral design for marriage, and we have instead tried to anchor sex in the self's self-expression. And you do not want sex anchored in the self's self-expression. And ironically enough, y'all, ironically enough, while Christians have often had this reputation for being a, a prudish, you know, repressive, puritanical people who, who always make bodies and sex sources of shame, Christians we should be the most body positive people in the world, right? Because we believe in the resurrection. Who else believes in the resurrection? Nobody else believes in the resurrection. And so what we see here in 1 Corinthians and throughout the rest of scripture is that Christians should be the most body positive people in the world. And so precisely because God is for the body, not because God's against it, because God is for the body, our our sex should not violate God's design for our bodies, not even in the name of authenticity, autonomy, or expression. All that to say, we can't just do whatever we want with our bodies. Not because God's against them, but because God is for them. Because God is for us, for every last one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, thank you for the gift of today. 
we come before you and we confess that we're only here because you have decided to host us for another day in your fallen but very good world. We come before you today, God, and um, I, I know that probably every person in this room brings a lot of baggage when it comes to sex and sexuality, and it's very complicated for us for all sorts of reasons. And so, God, um, I pray first and foremost that nothing that we talked about today would be a source of undue humiliation or shame or stigmatizing for anyone who is here today. Because God, you know and you understand the struggles of every single human, and God, you know we've all got struggles when it comes to this. And so I pray that no matter where we find ourselves today, no matter what we walked in with, no matter what we will walk out sorting through, that you would help us to see that you are true and good and beautiful and that you are for us, that you're patient with us, and that there's a place for us in the kingdom of God. And so whatever you need to sort through in our hearts this morning, God, I pray that you do some of that sorting, and I suspect that all of us have some sorting to do. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.